Welcome to Real History, shows what you know about history. On this podcast, we talk about historical movies and TV, anything that claims to be based on a true story, and we check how bad did they mess it up, how much did they sacrifice to get a great film. Well, that's why we're here, to separate the real history from the real history. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I don't know anything about history. My name is Michael Tynan, and I'm wondering when Spartan helmets with their big plume are going to come back into fashion. My name is Mark Bell, and as ever, I hate the inaccuracy of helmets in all historical movies. Mm, very good. Duly noted. Yeah. So, Spartans, you say, yes, we are indeed here to discuss the film 300. Uh, a historical film, yes, we can like, say that, right? Yes? Yes. His, yes, depicting actual events. Historical fiction. Historical is, fiction is probably fair. Yeah. I, well, I think we're a small departure on this particular um, podcast because for once we're not looking at a movie that's claiming to be based on true events. That's not written anywhere uh, at the beginning of the movie, at the end of the movie. It's simply based on a very famous graphic novel that Mark knows all about here. Yeah, so it this um, that's probably a good point to make. It doesn't say this is based on true events, even though... Sort of it is. This is this is an adaptation of uh, Frank Miller and Lynn Varley's uh, 1998 uh, limited series 300. And uh, bef- I just wanted to point out where it would usually perhaps say based on a true story on the poster it says prepare for glory. <laughs> it does say prepare for glory, yeah. But in fairness, it also says Frank Miller's 300. It doesn't say the Battle of Thermopylae or Spartan life or the life and times of the evil Emperor Xerxes. Yeah, <laughs> may as well though. <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, probably the weirdest thing about the movie could well be Xerxes, I would say, how he's had the Persian leaders depicted. Mm. Very, very strange. Well, before we get into all the details, tell us a bit about this film, Michael. I think you looked up a fact or two. Ah, yeah. Well, basically, it came out in 2007. It was a massive box office success. Um, it was directed by... Did it not come out in 2006? It was made in 2006, but I saw the release date was in 2007, March 2007. Right. But Asked I'm open to correction on Asked that. Yeah, I, I, be- I believe yeah. you're right, because I believe I went to see it on the birthday of my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> well, there you go. Huh? Um, it's year? her choice, by the way. I'm not like, you know what I mean? <laughs> sure, sure, Mark, sure. Yeah. <laughs> the end of the relationship afterwards, you know, <laughs> tragic. Um, She's listening to this, I'm sure. So, it directed by Zack Snyder, which um, many of you are aware, has also done some other works uh, with Frank Miller, such as... Yeah, he's, uh, well, he's done, um, he's done a number of comic book adaptations. He's kind of, for like comic book nerds, he's kind of trampled on um, the, probably the most popular, most famous comic book of all time, it's Watchmen. And he, he made an adaptation of that, which was highly controversial. And then he also did the Superman... Batman movie and the Man of Steel, which were also just we'll forgive him. We'll forgive him that horrendous depictions of those characters. But well, I wanted to mention Zack Snyder, uh, of course, quite prolific in his style. And yes, this is basically so. his first big. You know, he's done things before this, but it's his first big entrance yeah. onto the scene. And whereas, say, in in our discussion of Gladiator, we were saying that this sparked a whole era of like historical yeah. films, or at least attempts at historical films. And for this one, it is clear that the focus is more on the comic books because what happens after this is not like uh, Zack Snyder goes on to make historical films. Zack Snyder goes on to make a graphic novel comic adaptations. Comic movies, yeah, for sure. Mm. I think also, like, this is just a green screen extravaganza, probably to an extent that movies before this were not. 
you know. Um, yeah, like it wasn't made in the deserts of Persia. No. Um it was it was made in Montreal, yeah. I believe. This, this made in a car park <laughs> Montreal, like, as yeah. far from Persia as probably yeah. possible. Um so it, it I think we'd all agree it's visually fantastic. It's it very distinctive. As soon as you see a poster for it, you know what this is about. Yeah. Um we can get into it later, the film itself, uh but Generally, I, I felt the great thing with it, although it was just under two hours, I think, um, you didn't feel like at any time that it was dragging on. It was very no, much... Uh, it's an engaging film. It was it's engaging. not a boring movie. Yeah, exactly. So, and there's, 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 there's many a scene that just kind of steals it for you every five minutes and quite memorable, especially a few that Jacob reminded me about earlier related to... Uh, is it uh, The Traitor? When he goes into the harem. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just disturbing. Yeah. I also saw this in the cinema, and I don't think I've seen it since. And I still remember that goat. Like, there's a goat at one point yeah. playing a flute, smoking a pipe. I'm not sure. But the goat is there, and it's been in my brain ever since. Uh, it's not the most memorable part. Uh, but like you said, there's a, lot of, there's a lot going on here if you care to sort of... Slow it down a bit. Well, if you, you know. if you if you if you're interested in violence, it will keep you engaged. Yeah. If, you're, if you're bored by violence, it will bore you. That's a guarantee. And just one other little bit of trivia, because we have been doing quite a few movies that have fallen foul of the censors in different countries, and this mm. particular uh, film, as you can imagine, uh, was banned in Iran, uh, and we'll yeah. find out why very very shortly. <laughs> um, Similar to the dead of Stalin, I think was banned in Russia, yeah. amongst other former Soviet Kazakhstan, countries. Possibly, or yeah. Kazakhstan, maybe. So we'll we'll talk about that anyway. But yeah, we seem to be honing in on lots of films that are banned. So <laughs> that says a lot about us, I think. Well, if it's worth banning, it's worth watching, right? <laughs> it exactly. says a lot about historical fiction in general because there's always you always have to consider the voice behind it uh, because. For sure. All is, I mean, all the films we've seen are like Western productions, right? <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yeah. Everything we've covered so far is a Western thing. Unless we release this in a mis- mismatched order, and we've already done uh, Seven Samurai, in which case we haven't done. We've done one that isn't, but uh, yeah. w- we'll see. We'll see about the release schedule. We haven't recorded that episode yet, anyway. Um, but who else put this together except Zack Snyder and your man Frank? Your man Frank. Well, it's got a great cast. Um, so it was kind of everybody would know Jared Butler. Um, in a way, he's a great. Well, he's a Scottish actor. I was going to say a great Scottish actor, but I didn't want no, to overdo it. But it was kind of his breakout role, as For far sure. as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, he plays King. Okay, one thing we have to say here: there's going to be a lot of poor pronunciation. Uh, I'm from the Midlands in Ireland. <laughs> Hardly a a stronghold of. Uh, Greek, Greek and Greek Roman pronunciation. Now. So I will be relying on Mark to correct me here. So it's King Leonidas, Le- Leonidas of Sparta. That's and Jared Butler plays him. Uh, we've got uh, Dominic West uh, of, um, I of, think the he, wire fame. The wire, yeah. of The Wire fame. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think he's, is he Scottish too? Oh, he could I be. I yeah. think he's sure. British anyway. He might be English. We've got Lena... Hedy, yeah. Hedy. Also, also possibly British. Possibly also possibly British, a breakout yeah. role. Well, not breakout, but like... Certainly brought her to mainstream attention, I would say. Mm. That's fair to say, before playing Cersei on Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. and she plays uh, Sarah Connor Queen too, right? Gorgo. Queen Gorgo. Right. Um, I don't remember hearing that name at any yeah. point in the film. Um, it, it, uh, also, after watching this, you understand why in Game of Thrones she's like, no, I'm done with nude scenes. 
Someone else can do yeah. it. It's like, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've also got uh, Stelios, who is sort of one of the main uh, Spartan soldiers. He's played by um, Michael Fassbender as well. Um, and the other person that kind of sticks out at you um, and you remember him a lot longer and the image of of uh, him a lot longer, even after you've forgotten what happened in the film. And that's the character Rod, uh, who plays King Xerxes mm. uh, of Persia. And he's played by Rodrigo Santoro. Uh, and he is just visually a giant, yeah. um, tattooed, earringed, a scary kind of perfumed prince who could like charm you, but at the same time crush your skull with one hand. That's kind of the impression I got. Yeah, from he's it. essentially yeah. he's essentially depicted as like a supervillain. He looks like somebody Superman should be fighting. Like he's this enormous monster, and he's like he's like seven and a half feet tall, but he's being mm. carried around on this throne by all these slaves and stuff. It's mad. Yeah. But visually, very very impressive film. I suppose we should talk a little bit about the background of the film in general, Mark. Uh, yeah, I mean, we should, uh, what, like, obviously setting the film aside, I actually just realized now looking into it, I can't believe Xerxes also plays Hector the Outlaw on Westworld. I would not have made that connection really? at all. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he... So he's heavily, heavily CGI'd. Yes, I think he might be <laughs> yeah. as CGI He's the guy the that keeps getting shot and coming back to life. And uh, now he's the... Um, um, well, they all do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They <laughs> are robots. For Westworld. If you want to learen more about that, check out Westworld series at showswithyouknow.com. We have a whole podcast <laughs> about it. Effortless plug. Yeah. I know, right? So this actual time period, where are we here? Because uh, if you've only seen this film 10 years ago or whatever, maybe you're not, uh, maybe you don't recall the name, or sorry, uh, the year there displayed at the start of the film. Where are we and what's going on in the world? So this is... Um, Classical Greece. So the year is 480 BC. Um, this is the uh, beginning of the second Persian invasion of Greece. So I guess it's probably a good idea to, to explain why the Greeks and the Persians are fighting in the first place. Um, what we would now think of as Greece and Turkey um, were very, was very different in the classical period. Greek is not a unified polity. It's not one country. Um, each of the cities is essentially its own country. So you have competing what are called city-states or polis. Um, alongside that, the Greeks are prolific colonists. So most of um, the large towns and cities of Asia Minor, certainly the coastal regions, the Ionian coast, easy for you to say, um, <laughs> are Greek colonies. So they're, they are cities that have ethnic and political ties to the Greek mainland. Greek-speaking. And general, Greek-speaking, yeah. of course. Greek-speaking, Greek culture. Essentially what happens is the Persian Empire under under um, the Emperor Cyrus the Great expands into Asia Minor, Minor and essentially takes in the Greek colonies under under his rule. So they're paying their taxes to him. These are the, in Ionia. These are the Ionian yeah, colonies which in, is Tur- in what's now Turkey. In what's now Turkey. Yeah, okay. so along the coast. Basically what ends up happening is there's political disputes over... They don't want to pay the tax, essentially. Mm. Is this tax, is this the fabled uh, earth and water or whatever that's asked for uh, in the film? Not really. This is like this is more along the lines actual of... Actual money. Yeah, actual <laughs> money. This is more along the lines of you, you pay your tax to your government. And what's happening is the Persian... The, the Persian Empire is vast. So, I mean, it's based on what's now Iran. And it's this sensationally successful uh, cultural and scientific 
and everything else you want to think powerhouse of the ancient world it is the big dog it's the greatest empire it's the superpower the yeah, it's the yeah, superpower yeah. and I think it's stri- it goes as far as India it does yeah, yeah. stretches from India uh, incorporates Egypt what we now regard as the Levant Israel the area that we were talking about in, in Kingdom of Heaven that's all under the under the auspices of literally millions and millions of people unlimited resources unlimited yeah, yeah. Enormous, enormous there's a line there's a great line in the movie which is alleged to have happened in real life where the, the the one of the Persian soldiers is just he's just offended at the concept that the Spartans would think to even begin trying to fight the Persian Empire and he, he says the line the thousand nations of the Persian Empire descend upon you mm. and our arrows will blot out the sun and the Spartan soldier replies good we'll fight in the shade mm. which is a classic Spartan retort there's actually quite a few lines we have in the, that are from the movie which when you read them you think they're straight out of a Hollywood uh, playbook but they actually are taken from original Greek sources which yeah. we'll go into a little bit later so um, the Spartans for all intents and purposes great at the one liners you know? yeah. they are the masters yeah. of the one liner yeah the Greek yeah. so the, the area um that kind of nicely ties me back to where I'm going. So the area where Sparta is from is, is is in the Peloponnese. So that's a southern, almost it's almost an island. It's the southern part of the Greek mainland, which is connected by a little stretch of land. In the south of that is an area called Laconia, and the Spartans Sparta is the name of the village where the Spartans live. But they they control the whole area of Laconia, and they're all they're often called Laconian or Lacedaemonian. Wait, um, the the village where they live, they don't have a big uh, city. So here's the thing. The Spartan city-state, Sparta itself, is not. It's slightly different to many of the other Greek city-states in that its population is actually not that large. Mm. The population of uh, Laconia, um, at most fifty thousand, like at absolute at its height. Um, Sparta itself not developed as a massive city-state in the way that you might imagine ancient Greek towns. It doesn't look like Athens. It hasn't got big marble walls and these super impressive buildings. But Mark, the film. Showed those marble walls and the impressive buildings. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not to say it doesn't have any buildings. It's just not on the scale that you would expect. You know, when you think of ancient Greece and you think of like, you know, the 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 Parthenon and you think of all yeah. the, that's Athens you're thinking of. That's not Sparta. Sparta is very different. And in fact, the Spartans really, really don't like the Athenians. Yeah, I hear they're terrible fighters. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> according to this film. Yeah, the Spartans have this have this. Uh, there's these, uh, like another one of these phrases, these one-liners, which are called laconic phrases. So people would say things like, um, how come you don't have any city walls? And the general points to his men and he goes, they're the walls. Yeah. Nobody attacks Sparta. Damn. You know, this kind of, this, you know, this is, their, this is their thing. Much, much later on in history, the king of Macedon, Philip the Great, Philip the One-Eyed, rather, he's the father of Alexander the Great. He's brought the entire Greek world to heal, except for Sparta, who just won't surrender. He hasn't fought them yet or anything. But he sends them a message and he says, uh, the Greek world has recognized me as the king of kings. I'm going to lead the invasion of Persia. Um, you're going to get in line. Because if I bring my armies into your land, I will destroy your village and I will make slaves of your women and children. And the Spartan king replies, if. <laughs> Which is a pretty good line, I think. You know, mm. So they, they, love these, uh, they love these phrases. The Spartan, uh, Sparta at this time in 480, or around 480, um, they're not overly concerned necessarily with what's happening in the Ionian world because Sparta looks after Sparta. Um, Just about these phrases, given that I embellish on what I said to your man in the pub the other night, I feel like 
maybe a bit of uh, tinkering's gone into 100%, this. 100%, yeah. Like, th- this, this is the thing. And this, this is the thing that feeds the graphic novel that fed the movie. So the the concept, the love of Spartan society, the love of, or the, or the lionization of Spartans, like we have American football teams, the Michigan State Spartans, you know, they, that's the college team. Or even just the, the referring to someone as a Spartan is a way of saying that they're um, the hardest of the hard. hard. Yeah, these are hard men. Like a lot of this comes from 19th century uh, and the Renaissance. So this is from political and powerful figures who are classically educated, uh, who revere the Spartans. And the reason they revere the Spartans is because of what happens in this movie, yeah. or what this movie is depicting. It's the, the, the heroic sacrifice, the last stand. And of course, their interior design, known for its. Uh sparse and yeah known for like they don't really own property to any great extent so and just um in relation to the the invasion itself mark so uh, when we're getting back to the persian war so mm. darius if i'm right he was head of the persian empire correct yeah and he would have considered the greeks as sort of a fly that needed to be swatted yeah really. so here, here's what yeah. happens the ionian city-states so the the greek colonies and what's now turkey are trying to revolt against the Persian Empire. And what happens is they appeal to the mainland for help. They appeal to their cousins. They say, give us a, give us a dig out here, give us a few ships, give us a few soldiers, give us some money. We're looking at Athens here, current. So Athens basically goes, right, we're going to help you guys out. But the price of this is that you're going to start doing trade deals with us. Mm. You know, So this is all about money, really, yeah. for, the, for the Athenians. So the, the other city-states, many of the other city-states in the Greek mainland decide, okay, we're going to help out our, our ethnic cousins. You must remember as well, the Greeks at this point, not known for their tolerance of other of other nations, of other ethnicities. They, they, you know, this is, they refer to everyone who's not Greek-speaking as barbarian. As barbarian, yeah. Everyone. <laughs> That's, if, if, you're yeah. Not, if you're not a Greek, they barely consider Macedonians to be, to be, Greeks, to be Greek. They're just yeah. like these dirty farmers up in the north. Yeah. Like they, you know, just, <laughs> especially Athenians who get a lot of praise for philosophy and education and everything, but they're preposterously arrogant people. Like, mm. So anyway, they, they help out uh, the Ionians with money and, and weaponry and so on. This really annoys Darius because he's like, who are these? people pecking at me like this is like i'm not having this and how long ago was this about know? 10 years before it's about 10 years so, before yeah. the, the the movie yeah. uh, is set so he decides 490 he's going to invade greece and he's going to put them down for having the temerity for supporting their their uh you know their relatives as you might say their cousins you might say so he essentially invades uh invades greece and he brings a lot of the the northern parts of my, mainland greece to heel they just surrender they couldn't they couldn't possibly deal this with is the where army. the phrase to earth and water comes yes. in yeah. yeah where he basically uh, if i as far as i'm if, as far as i remember what he would have sent out emissaries to all the different villages and towns of greece and would have said that if you offer me earth and water then um I will take you under my protection, yeah. essentially. You become part of the person. Yeah. And many Greek yeah. states would have went along with that. Yeah. But not all of them, obviously. Not all. Of them. So the kingdom of Macedon, which later on obviously becomes really important under Alexander and Philip, they just say, yeah, yeah, fine, just please don't destroy our villages. Yeah. But he, they, they, like, Greece is such a backwater as far as Darius is concerned that he doesn't even go himself. He just sends one of his generals. He's like, yeah, whatever. What he I do knows. love about the film itself in terms of accuracy to events and a lot of this these sources come from herodotus which was a, a contemporary historian he's called the father of history but there there's actually a scene in the film where an emissary arrives and he asks for earth and water and 
best thing ever. The Spartan kick is used. Yeah. Where I think it's Leonidas. Yeah. Yeah. Uses a basic Spartan kick, which if if nobody's played any um, Assassin's Creed video games, uh, it's basically a massive lunging kick that knocks you about, <laughs> you know, 12 feet yeah. behind yourself. Yeah, yeah. And he, it, this actually happened, according to the sources, where they kicked the emissary down a well he fell in the well and they told him to dig for the earth and water down there himself. Yeah, you'll find plenty so, of both down here. Here we go. So yeah. this is once again getting back to these great one-liners that they yeah. seem to just pull out of nowhere. Or else they had a good press office. In the, mo- in the movie, yeah. interestingly, they, they, they make an effort to... Um, what Frank Miller is trying to do in, in, the, in the comic is he, he's trying to show off as much of Spartan culture as he can. So he uses scenes like that where... The reason why Leonidas, or one of the reasons Leonidas kicks the ambassador into the well is because he's insulted the queen. Mm. Like, you cannot insult a woman in Sparta. Like, mm. you're dead. You, you, um, just, you can't insult them. And maybe we'll get into this later, but the place of women in Spartan society is actually a very interesting subject. Yeah. But uh, just getting back to the Pers- the, the first Persian invasion. Yeah. So, so what was the well, outcome of getting the, back to the kick? Sorry to cut yeah, the you kick, off there, yeah. but... The Spartan kick, yeah. I... Yeah. I, I Assassin's Creed was released in November th- on November 13th, 2007. I just looked this up. And there's a move called the Spartan Kick in there, is what you're saying. Is this that- is actually a more a, a newer version of Assassin's Creed, which is set during the events of this movie. All right. Mm. So that makes sense. Also, yeah. Odyssey. Is that there the are whole videos on YouTube which are quite hilarious if you've nothing to be doing. Kicking people with just people kicking hilarious. people off the side of mountains. Well, yeah, and, and uh, this is also, I will <laughs> say... Um, I may not know much about real history, but I do know a lot about internet history, and I would swear that, you know, early memes, they lasted so much longer. These days, when a new meme comes around, it gets alternated every sure. week. It just rises and falls, you know, so quickly. But the Spartan kick, I swear it was around for about a year. This is Sparta. Yep. This film was so memeable, and uh, that's why I remember it so yes. fondly. Well, he has a, he has a line. He's, he's like, you're allowing this woman to speak to me. You know, and, and, and Gorgo, the queen of Sparta, says only Spartan women give birth to real men. Yeah. And, and that's and the guy says, this, is, this yeah. is madness. And Leonidas says, madness, this is Sparta. And kicks him down the well. Okay. Probably didn't really happen like that, but, you know. I liked it the way it was. It was pretty cool, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're talking the first Persian uh, invasion. Yeah, it's around 490. Darius, um, he's running around Greece. Uh, Darius isn't even there. So it's, okay. it's, it's under the leadership of, uh, well... Darius is, is there at the start, but just, you know, gets a bit fed up, goes home. Leaves the uh, army under the, the leadership of uh, one of his generals. What happens is the Greek, the Greeks freak out a little bit. And the reason they freak out is because of the scale of the Persian Empire, the scale mm. of its army. So the Greek cities will have uh, centuries of, of small-scale warfare against each other over, you know, dominating a region or over a trade dispute or over... Enslaving a population. Enslaving a population yeah. or trying to liberate a population or some one king stole another king's, you know, sister and married her or whatever. Th- these kinds of things would lead to a lot of uh, hatred between the city-states. So what e- ends up happening is uh, the Greeks realise they have absolutely no hope of defeating the, the, the Persians on their own. So they, mm. they have this idea of uh, an allied army, so a city-state alliance which they will call, they often will refer to as a Pan-Hellenic League. Mm, so sounds good. Hellenic is what they, the Greeks call themselves. Sounds Hellas. like a football league. In it does, terms, yeah. Well, yeah. there is a football team called Pan-Athenaikos, which is basically just means <laughs> Athens United. Um, so is this all leading up to Marathon then? So this Bat- leads the to the famous Marathon. Battle of Marathon, yeah, okay. which is which is Athenian-led. Now, the Spartans don't come to the Battle of Marathon. 
Do they not r- run fast enough? They, they <laughs> good. They don't come because there's a basically this happens during a religious festival mm. and their laws are very strict and they won't send their army. And this is alluded mm. to in the film, so it's um, I believe the festival of Karnai. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Uh, which prohibits them from actually engaging you, you, in war. You can't engage in warfare during um, a um, What I found interesting was that's not mentioned in the film, but in the sources, another reason why they didn't want to go to war at certain times was if the Olympic Games were on. Correct, yeah. You know, and I just love how um, the, this is obviously, you know, so long ago, we're in antiquity here, but it's still relevant for us to say the Olympic Games and people to this day can go, oh, the Olympic Games, you mean the one that's on every yeah, four yeah, years? Yeah. And we still talk about it. Now, I know it. there was a break in between. But bring, and back was, chari- but bring back chariot racing. That's all I say. This is it. <laughs> um, yeah. So what happens essentially is a, a, a allied Greek army made up of various smaller city-states and Athenian-led marches an army up to meet the Persians. Um, the Spartans arrive the following day, believe it or not, because they, they go on the march, but it's too late. Um, the uh, the Greek army wins. and It's a stunning victory. It's, it's absolutely... It, shakes the entirety of the Persian Empire. They can't believe the Persians have been beaten because they don't lose. Um, but here, they and do. the Spartans weren't even there? No, the Spartans no. weren't even there. And is Thanks this, um, just getting into military history a little bit, Mark, because I do know you love that. Um, so, the superiority of the Greek troops, obviously we can talk about Sparta and the military schools and all mm. that, but um, am I right in thinking a lot of it is down to what's called a hoplite uh, phalanx? Correct. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's so special about that? So basically the reason the Greeks are able to win this is, be- is because Persian armies are developed to fight where they are. So they're developed to fight in the Middle East. It's warm. Mm. You have wicker weapons. You have uh, light infantry mm. in comparison with a Greek hoplite. So the hoplite is so named because the shield is called a hoplon. So it's a circular shield. Mm. Um, Greek soldiers are heavily armored, massed infantry. So they, they wear they wear heavy armor. Um, they wear they use heavy weapons. They have heavy shields. They wear helmets, and they stand in mass ranks where your shield protects the man beside you. So as you approach a Greek army, you you approach a glittering wall of iron with spears. It's pretty intimidating to approach. Now. The, so. the, the different the difficulty with it is it's not very manoeuvrable but if you come head on to a Greek phalanx you ain't winning that battle so what we're looking at this is just something that I did strike me watching it is that they seem to have it mixed up in the movie because yeah. in the film it's the um, immortals and the Persian empire yeah. who seem to be heavily armoured um, and by comparison it's <laughs> the Spartans who look mm. like underwear models yes. basically with spears so it's more. It would have been kind of the opposite. The opposite. Yeah. So, so in, in the movie, the, the Spartans are wearing no armor. Yeah. Not how it would happen. Okay. So, so that's from the book. That's, that's from the that's from the graphic, from the, novel, the graphic yeah, novel. Yeah. Okay. And right. the idea behind that is he's trying to display the supremacy of the Spartan male. Essentially, yeah. he's trying to show off that the Spartan male is the ultimate human, the ultimate man. Like, yeah. They spent their entire time lives training. Yeah. All they do yeah. is fight. Um. But a marathon. A marathon. What happens is the Persian. The Persian army meets the Greek army. The Persian army is arrogant because mm. this is this is the army that's conquered the world, and they come head on against the Greek phalanx, and the phalanx doesn't crumble. And, and just they would have had superior. I think it was they were three to one. Oh, at least three yeah. to one. Yeah. So yeah. they send wave after wave of, of Persian soldiers just getting absolutely massacred by the by the Athenian led Greeks. Mm. The Spartans arrive the next day after the battle has been lost by the Persians, and even they admit that the uh, the Athenians have done pretty well. So if the Spartans are uh, saying you've done pretty well, 
you really must have kicked someone's ass. I bet they were pissed off they missed out. Oh, furious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. furious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they would regard themselves, they're the principal military power they're of the, the Greek city the, states. They should yeah. be leading it. They always regarded themselves as the military leaders. They're the martial power. Yes. Now, yeah. If only the Athenians were as good at one-liners, we'd have something from that when they arrived the day after. Instead, they probably went off and wrote a play about it or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Bloody we, Athenians. Which sounds exactly like what a Spartan would say. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, they probably went off and started practicing some drama while we went to have a bottle. Well, you know, this is... <laughs> Speaking of how they look like underwear models in the film, mm. um, it's obviously historically inaccurate. At the same time, you could see how it relates to, you know, old Greek art, like yeah. always depicting like physical perfection. Yeah. And in a way, the film feels like an extension of that. You know, it's not like it, it's obviously not depicting reality. It's depicting Greek myth, yes. but yeah. something that actually happened in Greek history, but now having turned into part of Greek myth, basically. Yeah, like, look, that's 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 a really, that's a really fine point. Like, I think... Um, He's trying the, in the graphic novel. He's trying to bring what you're talking about to li- to, to to life in the, in the pages of the graphic novel. So he is trying to show what you think of as Greek art and bring that to life. So that's not going to work if they're all covered in armor the whole time. You know. At the same time, that would be an interesting film too. You know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. For so sure. so we're in 490 BC. So this is 10 years before the film actually. The, ba- the Battle of Marathon battle, is, is yeah. 490. Okay. So what so what happens? Darius's forces basically go back to go back, go back yeah, to yeah, Persia. Yeah, they, they essentially they, they've they've been they've been licked. So off they yeah. off they go back to, to to Persia. Darius is faced with some himself is faced with some uh, internal political struggles. Then at this point, There's a revolt in he's Egypt. Actually, he's actually not really a legitimate emperor. He he comes to power through all sorts of messing and and mm. yeah, he's he marries the daughter of the previous line to give himself legitimacy and there's, there's all sorts of your your usual kind of mm. intrigue court intrigue is going on. So he's not necessarily the most secure guy in the world. So the army just comes back and he just thinks, Oh look, I I'll deal with this later once once I'm sorted out. You know? So this whole uh calling yourself a living god thing that we see a lot of in the film, would that have I mean, I will, we'll have to get into a lot of, you know, the depiction of Persians in general, but yeah. would that have been a thing at all during this time? Yeah. Mm. Difficult difficult question to answer. I mean, the, the, the Persian emperor, we use the phrase emperor. That's not the phrase they would use, of course. They, they would be something like Shah, Shah. Like well, his name, if we were mm. not speaking of Darius, but his son Xerxes, who, who is the main uh, antagonist in the film, his actual name, name if, I, if I got the right translation, is... He who rules over heroes, yeah, which, nice. you know, yeah. it's better than Michael or Jacob. Isn't <laughs> yeah. It? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're, they're often referred to as the king of kings, mm-hmm. as in like all of the various tribes of the Persian Empire have to treat this guy as the as you're treated as a king, you treat this guy as a king. This is, this mm-hmm. is essentially what they're doing. But there's a religious element to it as well. The, the Persian emperor would be regarded as the... Um, representative of the god Ahura Mazda on earth like so it there would be a religious kind of element not a god themselves but next best thing so we see this during many times in history it, it eventually although it was very this would have been very foreign to the romans at a later stage to have this kind of god figure at the top but in the later roman empire the emperor was basically considered a god yeah you know yeah, yeah. um so you know this tends to happen in societies where power is centralized they need to kind of justify keeping control and a lot of the time they do that through mysticism or you know religious iconography and all this kind of thing yeah there's a lot of uh i don't know it's interesting how they depict 
religion in general where you have these uh, decrepit, old, mutated, uh, inbred uh, priests and they're portrayed as disgusting. It's like everything except being a Spartan warrior Mm. in this world means you've wasted your life because everything else is so disgusting. Even the politicians who aren't the worst are just sheep led by whatever happens, you know? So the the politician with any type of initiative is uh, obviously the worst. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so so the religious figures, it's like the voiceover, which is someone telling a story, we have to say, to be fair. You know, there's voiceover throughout, so we're inside a story as well in the film. But this person is saying that, you know, Oh, disgusting remnants of a former time and all this talking about I believe the, it is D- Delios is yeah. it yeah, yeah he's yeah. supposed to be one of the soldiers I think yeah, yeah, yeah so that's like his view of these religious figures and they they say at the end as well though or he says at the end like we're gonna strike a, a blow against mysticism or whatever and yeah. I'm like well okay so like what's going on religiously in Sparta is something I'm wondering as well then if you actually do worship the warrior uh, ethos so, over anything over everything else. Yeah, you, you you essentially do. So so going further back, the 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 origin of the of the, the Greek or the Spartan culture that we're presented with in in this um, in this movie and and in this in the graphic novel, this is um, kind of the second version of Sparta that history depicts. The first version of Sparta you'd be familiar with from like the Trojan War. Mm. Helen of Troy. Helen of Troy is Helen of Sparta, mm. but those Spartans are not these Spartans. Yeah, they're very, very different. So that that that's from a different era of Greek history, which is referred to them. These are the, tribes from the north that move. These are in. tribes from the north. Yeah. yeah. So if you notice the shields, the Spartan shields have a symbol on it, which is which is called a lambda. It's an L, and the L stands for Laconia, which is the region mm. they're in. But all of the that that symbol also represents the ethnic grouping of Greeks that they are. So they're Dorian Greeks, mm. as distinct from Ionian Greeks. So when the Ionian Greeks in what's now Turkey under the Persians appeal for help, they go to other Ionians, like the Athenians. Right. The, Athen- the Ionians and the Dorians don't get on anyway, ethnically. There's slight ethnic differences. The extent to which is is debated, but there are differences. These people are from the north, the no- mm. of what's now Macedonia. Mm. So they uh, they had a, a migration period, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the 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 um, actions of this movie and it's it referred to in greek history as the dorian invasion or poetically as the return of the sons of heracles because they they claim to be related descended to heracles. from heracles, from heracles yes. Yes. and yeah. king leonardi leonides he would claim he claims, to be, yeah yeah he, he claims claim, direct yeah. descent from heracles yeah so he's this is this is the this is the, the strength of his claim now a lot of greeks kings and, and mm. powerful families as with the romans later on will also mm. do this julius caesar I'm the descendant from the goddess Venus, you know, this yeah. kind of carol. Kind of well, people claim all sorts of descent yeah, these it's, days it's, too, it's guys, as we But this know. is probably a good time to, anyway, to do it, because we've set it up the, the fact that Greece has defeated uh, the per- first Persian yeah. uh, invasion, the yeah. Battle of Marathon. So during this 10-year period after the Battle of Marathon, the Spartans are we'd be a good time to kind of discuss what kind of society they had, yeah. what, 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 how, what kind of a... Um, how 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 everything worked essentially, but also we maybe work out what the Greek the rest of the Greeks were doing during this ten year yeah, period as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is in the this is the fifth century um, BC BCE. The origin of the, of the Spartan culture, while I was discussing there, the Dorian invasion, um, 
that kind of comes into light after what's called the Greek Dark Ages. So the collapse of the Mycenaean Greek, collapse of the Bronze Age world. Um, so in the 800s, um, the legend goes that there's a Spartan lawmaker called Lycurgus, and he creates the laws of the Spartan state. Mm. So basically he comes up with all these ideas like, the Spartan man is not to busy himself as a merchant. That's not mm. what a Spartan man does. He's not supposed to go off... Uh, traveling the world trying to better himself he's not supposed to take lead from uh, weaker people he's supposed to be a domineering strong ethnically pure man Mm. Um, the Spartan society that we're presented with while we make heroes of them they're fascists they're extreme ethno-fascists I'd say that's pretty much visible in the film too no yeah but I mean but I mean in modern culture we lionize the Spartans Spartans are horrific people we also this is tying back into lots of the films we've actually reviewed the whole what I the lesson I learned from this is that the whole reason why Sparta could organize as I suppose one big military barracks was because of slavery slaves we've yes, always talked about it slaves, slaves, but basically slaves. i think it was an extremely hierarchical society you would have been one of either an elite a middle class merchant society or you would have been a slave essentially essentially what yeah. what, what we're talking about is like Hergus puts these laws in place um and that's all well and good but you can't run a society if no one's in the farming so the idea is the spartan army will go and just conquer everyone in the region around them so laconia the peloponnese for the most part, but Laconia is certainly that area. They just conquer all of it. In a um, lot of ways, Mark, they would have enslaved their own people as well. Uh, oh, very ethnically, ethnically, very much so. Yeah, yeah very much yeah. so. But they, so they, they, weren't, pe- they, they were from cruel the village. bastards. Like. They weren't from the village of Sparta, though. Yeah. Which is, which, like, Hergus names after his wife. Um, hmm. So they, they, they go around conquering all these people and, and, and turn them into slaves. And these people were referred to as helots. And, mm. and the helots um are their slaves but they essentially do everything and they're an underclass that exists in Spartan society there is then a middle rank in between which are merchants and playwriters and things like the people who are useful essentially who are not slaves but they're not Spartan and they don't they wouldn't have I hope the three of us would be in that middle range uh well yeah probably be a slave let's be honest well (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't know I can't really see myself working in the fields to be honest with (laughs) you we'd all be dead either the day and they had to yeah well fair fair yeah (laughs) well let's make him a playwright he can't do anything in the field anyways he'd be be useless he'd be useless at that but he can write yeah so Um, we've got a strict hierarchical society um everything is organized basically to supply the army is that essentially essentially correct? the martial prowess is everything? Hmm. Now there are other there are other uh, strange facts around Sparta that mark it out as distinct or further distinct from the rest of the Greek world. For example, it's a, it's um, it's actually got two kings. There's a co-kingship all the time. Oh, that's reminds you of the consuls. Is, yeah. Yes, yeah. with very similar yeah. to the consuls in, in in Rome. Now this is not depicted in the movie because that's too confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How did they pick the kings? So there's two families, essentially, who both claim to be descended from Heracles. Usually those would kill each other in uh, any history. Usually they would, but the idea was that while one leads the army marching away, the other leads the army that remains. Mm. That's essentially what would happen. And then there will be debate between who's going to get to lead the army during this and who's going to get to lead the army during that. So A strange setup. Right, so this is sort of skipping ahead, but uh, at the time of the Battle of Thermopylae, is that still a thing? And if so, is there another king just who comes? There's in a later? government. Yes, yeah. it is still a thing at this point. So Le- right. Leonidas goes off to lead the army because it's his turn. So when we say that you know the king of Sparta, brave Leonidas, 
died there in a blaze of glory, uh, a story told for thousands of years. Yep. There's another king back home who's like, that could have been me. <laughs> Basically, that's it. That, mm. that is really, really it. So he's like, for fuck's sake, I didn't get a chance. I'm not the legend. I'm not the hero. Because at the end of the day, the ultimate for the Spartan is you die in battle for Sparta. That's, yeah. that's mm. the ultimate. There's a line uh, that Queen Gorgo says to uh, Leonidas, which actually Spartan mothers are supposed to have said to their sons when, when mm. they went off to their first battle they say they hand them the shield and they say come back with this shield or come back on this shield yeah. so either, either bring think, it back or I die the queen says that to Leonidas yeah and so, this, yeah. so like, historically that, that is something that your, mm. your mother says to you mm. so and you in terms of the, what made this great military society in terms of I, I believe the children were taken at Seven, eight, seven. Yeah. yeah. So they they had a they had a, a strange uh, kind of setup. So the top rung in the Spartan society, a, a pure blood Spartan, as they might refer to it, is called a Sparty Eight. So they're they're the ones who are who are going to be in the army. And what happens is you're basically looked after by the women. So you're educated. Mm. So you can do all those useful things like read and things um, until you get to age seven, and then you go to a thing called the Agogi. And the Agogi is a military training camp. And up until about 14, you're trained in mass ranks on how to fight. And at 14, you're then paired with an older Spartan soldier. And we should also say before this, like the whole thing is a system of basically sorting people into the hardiest possible. But even the famous, just because it's hard not to mention it, that a child born with any, even the smallest defect would be left. Well, what they would do is when, would a, be exposed, when a child is born yeah. and they, if they suspected the child of weakness, if they suspected the baby of weakness, they would, yeah, they would leave it on the side of a mountain. You can see a lot of uh, the fascist undertones. Oh, you 100%. Know, if, you, if, you weren't, side, yeah. if you weren't going to grow up to be uh, an acceptable Spartan soldier, mm. you, you had no use for you. That's the and I think it went as far as a birthmark. Yeah. With a birthmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one, one interesting thing about Spartans is, uh, is uh, an... I think this is probably why they were trying to show, um, you know, these these like incredibly ripped guys. Like mm. they were actually quite vain. Before mm. a battle, the Spartans would spend hours brushing their hair because mm. <laughs> they wanted to look perfect. Like, yeah. When they went into battle, you know, it was crazy. Or when like, they die. Or when they yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And they had a, a certain number of hair of like strokes of the hairbrush that you had to you had to do. Otherwise, you, you might not even join the line of battle if you hadn't done it properly. That's you know, crazy. And, and all these, their weaponry had to be sparkling and. You know. And these schools themselves, though, Mark, they would have been very cruel. They would have been yeah. tortured. Brutal. There would have been beatings. Well, what they would do sometimes is they would take a group of you, of, of young boys, maybe that might be 10 to 14, something like that, and they would just leave you in the woods with nothing. Yeah. And you had to find your way back, or they would just make you go without food, or they would make you steal. Mm. And yes. if you got caught, you were beaten. Mm. So the this aogi, which sounds like a delicious dip, um, <laughs> it was... Um, the impression I got from the film when I originally saw it was like, oh, it's like you're taken out and you have to fend for yourself in yep. the wild yep. for like a year or whatever and fight a wolf and it's going to be a metaphor for later in the film. Yep. Like that that was the impression I got. So that's definitely part of it, but also just sure. classic military training. Do we know how they were trained beyond you, I mean, I mean, essentially what we would now regard as kind of like martial arts training. You, yeah. you would learn to fight with a spear and a short sword. Uh, short swords, so that's like, it would make it difficult for you to kill somebody because it you know, the embarrassment of having lost your spear. You would have to get very close to somebody. It's a short stabbing sword. The idea being that you see the colour of your opponent's eyes when you kill them. Um, but they would they would also train very heavily in groups and they would be they would be encouraged to rely on one another because in a Spartan battle line, in a phalanx battle line, you're responsible for defending the man beside you. Mm. And this was this was taken to extremes in, in, in Greek uh, in Greek 
culture, in ancient Greek culture. In fact, Leonidas says to Ephialtes, you mm. wouldn't work as a Spartan soldier because you can't hold the shield, the shield up. So you can't yeah. defend the man beside you. He, his, the man beside his life is everything. This is why they paired you with an older soldier. There's a lot of talk about how this would this would uh, involve pederasty. So in, yeah. in, in a lot of cases, um, it's claimed that uh, there will be lovers. Yeah. Now, in some cases, that undoubtedly is true, but that wasn't actually the point of it. The point of it was that you you were you essentially acted like a squire to a knight, so you learned how to be a soldier <laughs> from a soldier. Yeah. Um. Sometimes you you could you could be related to this person. It could be your cousin or your uncle or or, or something. Um. There was uh, later in history in another Greek city state, the Thebans, uh, Thebes. They had a a, unit, a military unit called the Theban Sacred Band. They were lovers, so it was one hundred and fifty pairs. Of, uh, 150 couples basically would form a would form a, a rank in the army and it was said that the Theban sacred band was unbeatable you couldn't break the sacred band mm. um so there there is a bit right. of that if this is not the basis for a wonderful historical romance then i don't know what is fan like, fiction i mean yeah i mean <laughs> watch out well uh, uh broke back mountain i mean you've, this, you've got like oh my god there's because oh. there's so many characters as well right this is like a perfect yaoi anime which is your, your your famous boy love anime. Imagine that with just a bunch of buff dudes yep. and they're all good at different things. That's the agogi. I mean, the idea is that you have this intensely uh, intimate relationship with all the men in the society. So the idea being you would die for them and they would die for you. And just uh, before we move on to kind of, I suppose, the, the battle itself that's depicted in the film, um, a word just on women's place in society. So they were... They yeah, were very they, they were educated. Oh, yeah. Extreme. This was extremely different opinion of women than you would see elsewhere in Greece at the time. The Spartans, the Spartan uh, society, um, had a different role for women. Um, the Spartans regarded their women as just superior in every way to every other woman in the world. Mm. They just they would and they wouldn't they would have no toleration for anyone even questioning this. And they were educated. They were, they were educated. They were the smartest women in the world. Yeah. They were the best looking women in the world. They were the most athletic women in the world. They were able to own land. They owned horses. They owned property. They would sometimes be brought to the battles to shame the men into trying harder. Yeah. So at the agogi, when you were there later on, when you were when you were kind of a late, like an older teenager, um, if one of the commanders of the agogi taught a unit of men or a unit of young young men or boys even were weren't competing strongly enough, he'd ask some women to come along and just slag them off, just jeer them. It's like you're, you're pathetic. You think you're a Spartan, like. And what's you know, funny about, about that that what I when I when I was learning about this, their place in society is I found strangers that we associate. It's Athens we associate with. Uh, I suppose forward thinking, yeah. democracy, um, rights for voting, this kind of thing. Whereas if you think about it, if women were educated in Athens too, then. They would have been. It would have been a far more literate society. Well, we might we might have a very different world. I mean, yeah. we might have had a more progression faster. Yeah. You know, um, the Spartan. Now, that's not to say Spartan women were like these amazing, amazingly progressive people. They were still Spartans. Mm. It's just that their position in society was respected in a way that it maybe wasn't in the well, definitely wasn't in the other Greek cities. Like y- you couldn't regard a woman as your property like your wife is not your property that's not the way this works like you know if anything you're her property (laughs) you're her soldier yeah so before we leave uh spartan society for the big battle um we know there's two kings what about this whole council government thing going on what's what's the real story there well in terms of the film itself this is what like 
what I would say about this, I was surprised at how accurate this film, in terms of, first of all, it has to be said that there's very few sources for this time, except Herodotus. Um, and although people actually used to call him a barbarian lover, they considered him so to be so balanced. That's why he's called the father of history, because he was he went about writing history in a, in a methodical way. Um, but because of that, we have very few Persian sources. Um, so it's very hard to actually tell uh, without just looking at the facts through the Greek eye, Greek eyes, what actually happened here, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you want to explore maybe that or... Well, like... In is, terms of the, the council yeah. itself, th- there was a, 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 a Spartan government. It actually sanctioned, as is different than in the film, it, it sanctioned the expedition to Thermopylae by King Leonidas. Um, mm-hmm. But the whole subplot of a corrupt politic, politician uh, played by, I think it's Tyron, or, um, he played by Dominic West, the oh, guy course, from The, yeah. the Wire, try, um, who ends up raping the queen or um, and all this kind of thing. That That's all fabricated. Yeah, like, so I that's mean, not I mean, in it. That's, there's no like historical if you, if you Like raping the Spartan queen, like, I mean, to say that you'd be killed for that would be... Best to look to you. I like, mean, they'd, yeah. they would destroy your line and anyone even knows you yeah. <laughs> if you even yeah. looked at yeah. the Spartan Queen. Yeah. So I think that whole plot doesn't really make any sense. Although one thing I would say is that they w- uh, it w- the Spartans themselves would have respected the oracles a lot. So they would have um, been observed religious, uh, religious festivities. That kind of thing was very important, but the government as portrayed in the, portrayed in the film isn't that important. Yeah. Uh, one oracle, and this is just a little theory I have about this whole situation is there is actually a prophecy. Um, and now it's not mentioned in the, in the film itself, but that Leonidas apparently received from the oracle. So I'm going to have to quote this one here now, Go for it. uh, but it'll give you an idea of maybe, the way his mind was thinking prior to going into battle. So uh, either Sparta would be wiped out or everyone within the borders of Lysidium, Mark? Laconia, just call it Laconia. (laughs) Must mourn the death of a king sprung from the line of Heracles. Mm. So basically, uh, if you don't sacrifice yourself, King Leonidas, uh, all of Sparta will fall. And this was this prophecy. So... Uh, although the government wasn't in the film, the as portrayed, uh, or, or, the government wasn't actually really important in the film when they show the uh, when they show the need of the um, Spartans to get the go ahead from the oracles or what was their names? The E4s, yeah, E4s. Yeah. That is accurate. They would have definitely gone in there, right? But they didn't get it in the film, and they obviously did. In according to that. <laughs> According to that prophecy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So it, I, I find these things interesting because uh, they're clearly like parts of the story where we're trying to make our main characters more likable, mm-hmm. um, which is something you should always do as a storyteller. However, I kind of often feel, especially in historical context, that it's more interesting if you portray the actual, you know, conflicts and that but then it wouldn't be a simple testosterone fuel yeah, war yeah. thing and everything but uh, it, it, it is interesting how tyrant classes always find a way to play the victim in like oh like because they're obviously running everything and then so we have to insert these corrupt politicians to mm. blame for everything yeah. that's wrong in who society. have pockets full of persian yeah, this gold is, this is this is the mirror yeah. and look 
what what like in in some respects what it's what it's doing here as well you know you mentioned the pockets full of persian gold the persian strategy in the greek world was bribery mm. after the, after the marathon this is what they did and they continued to well, do it was it. cheaper than funding an army exactly oh. and it was easier to pay off smaller city states maybe to be a thorn in the side of the bigger city states yeah. like athens and, and sparta and corinth and thebes and so on um so i mean it, look it is something that happened and and after the persian wars um well, depending on how you define the Persian Wars, but this this is something that continues for decades, decades and decades. Um, this kind of trying to undermine each other and, and, you know, the Greeks fighting the Persians, but also fighting themselves and inter- internal politics causing, causing issues. Um, so the battle that the whole film is centred around, Thermopylae, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose we should take a look at that. Why, first of all, the, why were the Persians invading at that time? What had that place? So it seems been, like a yeah. really bad place to do it, just yeah. based on what I see in the film. Right. So it, it's <laughs> ten years after their defeat at Marathon. Mm-hmm. They've had they've put down some uh, revolts in Egypt in their own territory. So it they is. were a bit busy, and now Darius, King Darius, has died, or Emperor Darius, whatever we want to call him, and Xerxes has taken over. So he's coming back to finish off his. Yeah. So battle. so Xer- Xerxes. Um, so essentially, like the Persians feel a little bit embarrassed by this defeat in Marathon. Like, yeah, that these little Greeks, this little backwater has Greeklings, Greeklings. Yeah, this little backwater has defied the empire. Yeah, just it's not it's not a good look. Further to that, um, other revolts or attempted revolts or rebel units or groups of rebels throughout the Persian world, the guys who are leading those or training those are Greeks. They're mm. Spartan generals. This is what you did. You hired a Spartan general to train your army. So years later, the Carthaginian army that's trained by Spartan soldiers, further Greek uh, or further Egyptian revolts, that's Spartan generals. They organize your army. They teach you how to fight. They don't bring Spartan soldiers with them necessarily. They might bring their staff, but you hire a Spartan general. That's what you do. Yeah. The Persian, the oppressed people in the Persian Empire, that's what they're doing. They're hiring Greeks in. These are the guys who beat the Persians. Like, well, get these guys in and they'll help us. Xerxes is not having this. He, he, he can't have it. He's a new emperor. He's gonna go in, and he's gonna he's gonna achieve where his father failed. What I one thing I would like to say about the Persians, because a lot of the stuff is that, like, we can only go on what the Greek sources said. There are inscriptions in the palaces uh, in Persia which give us an idea. But one thing that I, I w- we can say about the Persians is that they were wonderful engineers. So yeah. just to launch this particular invasion, they had to cross a very famous place called the Hellespont. Yeah. Um, and they basically built a bridge to carry, they think, 300,000 people. Well, uh, some sources say it's a million. This is it. A There's a lot soldiers. of no but the figures at this time. It's very tough to kind of tell. But to, for, to, for, for the army basically to cross over a pontoon bridge about two miles long, and they built this, like, how long ago? Yeah, like it was a long time. So long. this yeah. is, we used to think that was impressive with Caesar crossing the Rhine. Uh, but this is a whole different. This is, this is crossing where, um, where this is crossing where like where Istanbul is now. This is where you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. So you're, this is a big expanse of yeah. water, and this is according to the sources the largest army ever gathered. Yeah. Uh, Herodotus, I think it is, says it's a million. He a million he actually he, in, in his sources he says two point five, <laughs> but this is why 
and modern sources now think or modern people evaluating the battle what they found all this putting everything together they they reckon under half a million anyway but still the still greeks a lot. the greeks didn't have anything like that not a whole no. not a whole the greeks were the whole greek small world percentage of that all know? greek world couldn't put up that uh, but what they did have is spartans and the strategy as depicted in the film is to break the morale of the persians yeah. like they're not going to be able to kill 500,000 people but they can wear them out, at, well, wear themselves out at the same time. And I want to bring this up as well. The famous number, it's right there in the title, 300. Are those the ones who remained at the end or are they the... Oh, no, no, no one remains at the end. The 300 die. They like- yeah, but I mean, though, no, they remain in the past because they do say that only a small force remained while the rest went back. Are they saying that... All the Spartans who went stayed there and died, and there were three hundred of them in total. So there's something we I think we it's overlooked in the film um, is that it was a two pronged attack. So what's important to note with this battle is it wasn't just Sparta. Uh, it was there was a confederation of Greek states. Athens, in the meantime, during this ten years, had built a massive navy, um, and the plan basically was that Sparta would cut off the the Persian advance at this famous hot gates Thermopylae, uh, while simultaneously the Greek navy, so the allied Greek navy, um, held held off the Persians in the sea. Um, now, you do see in the film a massive sea, uh, ba- well, not a battle, but you see a storm which kind of gets rid of about half of the Persian ships. And yeah. this did actually yeah, happen. Did happen yeah. uh, it doesn't, uh, they claim it was Zeus and his thunderbolts, but I'm yeah. not sure if that's 100% correct. It's <laughs> uh, not verified yet. But it sounds pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but in terms of that, so the, 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 the film portrayal isn't accurate in terms of that. The amount of people who actually went to Thermopylae was a lot more. They reckon about 7,000 initially. Yeah. What the 300 refers to is the rear guard. Yeah. That's okay. what I was thinking of. Um, and we can go into the battle now a little bit more if you want to say, so what happened exactly, Mark? The, the Persians are on their way and, uh, and the, the Greeks go to meet them. Yeah, so it's, it, it, there's, there's, a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of debate here. So, so the, the delay, the, the idea that the 300 and, and the, the delaying action of the Greeks in the north who were trying to prevent the Persians from arriving into southern Greece... Um, this gun, like the heroic sacrifice and the blood. That's all later romanticization. There's no evidence at all to think that the Spartans thought they were actually going to die here. They, they, some people think that they thought they might win this battle. Who could say even this prophecy could have been made up after oh, the fact? Uh, like, oh, yeah. I, I, I think, I think that's <laughs> undoubted. If, all the be best honest. prophecies are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the the yeah. Allied Greek army, as led by the 300 Spartans under Leonidas, going north. It, this is not a sacrificial lamb army. This is not 7,000 men thinking they're going to die. 7,000 men in an army for a Greek army is a very large army. To put this in context, the largest Spartan army that ever took the field was 9,500 men. Mm. Now, we might think that's quite small, or even in later antiquity in terms of like the scale of, say, a large Roman army. That's about a, ten, a tenth the size of a large Roman army. But that's that's the kind of numbers we're talking about. There's only fifty thousand people in Laconia. There wasn't seven and a half billion people in the world no, either. No, so, these these know, are these are small talking the hundreds of millions worldwide. When Greek city states went to war with each other, it was maybe you might have three hundred men in a in a in a phalanx against my three hundred men in a phalanx, and we'd smash into each other in a field outside one of the cities. That's how they fought. So seven thousand men going north in an allied Greek army, they don't they're not marching to their deaths. This is not Leonidas saying, I'm gonna die for Greece. That's not what this is. This is 
our guys weren't there for the battle of marathon they were going to show them how how greeks can fight exactly and they were also confident that this greek navy would actually help too yeah um so in the end the greek navy it's actually a separate battle i think it's artemisium artemisium yeah uh it was kind of like a sta- it, it was it was a bit of a stalemate. Yeah, you know there was, was a draw, actually it was a draw. Sta- yeah, there was a, sta- a storm and many gr- uh, Persian ships were lost. Yeah, uh, I suppose for the purpose of the film, what we're looking at is what happened in the past. So they it was three days. Am I right? Yeah, three yeah. days. Three days of fairly heavy fighting. Look, the Greeks chose Thermopylae, um, as f- uh, Frank Miller in in a lot of his work he he repeats this line in in uh, the Sin City stories is like where where you fight matters mm. almost more than what you're fighting with. So how do you get rid of the numbers, the terrain? So you see this you see this in in, in throughout military history. If you if you're facing numbers that are much much larger than yours, but your quality is higher, a monstrous you, human horde. As yes, it was called a monstrous human time. horde. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You bottleneck it. You make it so they can only face the same number against the same number for as long as possible, and then you rely on your quality to do down their numbers. So is that accurately per- portrayed in the film how essentially the Spartans are just in on an industrial scale just Oh they like this the Spartan the, 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 like this there is a myth that exists back then of Spartan invincibility like mm. these like at this point Sparta has never lost a battle. You have to you have to understand this like they mm. they they are the best soldiers in this region of the world by a distance. They will kick the shit out of you. Mm. All they do is fight. That's all they do like and they stand in a mass rank. There's there's scenes in the movie where they break ranks and Spartans come jumping out and they're fighting like, you know, Daredevil on a, a, yeah. a, after three days on the, on the piss. Yeah. Like, that's not how they fight. That's not what they do. I figured. But they mow you down. Like, they just mow you down. And the uh, what did one thing I did interest me is the immortals. So these yeah. were like the elite troops that yeah. um, Xerxes, very pissed off that he wasn't winning on the first day, seems to have sent in his immortals. So, yeah. Um, what do we think of the immortals? If you've seen the film, they they wore gold masks. Uh, they looked very, very, very uh, scared. One of their masks comes scary. off, and he's basically a demon, right? He's like a monster, yeah. right? Yeah. What did we do have to say about this whole thing? Is the ar- the Persian army, and this is a major criticism of the film, um, in the media even at the time, was that it does portray the Persians uh, as demons. Like we've got. Yeah. Uh, massive monstrous rhinos running around the place elephants giant wolves uh ghoulish faces uh you know they do look extremely evil compared to the kind of spartans combing their long braided hair so this this comes down to something that that was evident when the movie came out this is not based on the historical events this is an adaptation of a graphic novel yeah and frank miller's signature move is everything he does is exaggerated reality Mm. everything he does so if you, re- you read any of the things he's written, it's always exaggerated reality. If you watch the Sin City movie, it's the same thing. How could people possibly take that level of a beating and still stand? It's not meant to be real. It's yeah. meant to be an exaggerated version of what is real. What I did love is when these fantastical characters were introduced. So I think at one stage during the battle, there's a giant ogre yeah, that yeah. looks like something out of Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's fighting, um, I think it's Stelios or Stelios, Leonidas. Yeah. Stelios, um, yeah. And there's also a giant kind of fat baby uh, that has a hand that's like a claw that keeps cutting off Persian uh, generals' heads. Yeah. 
Uh, but what I loved about all of that is whenever these scenes happened, they had like cheesy rock music on. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, I'm not even going to say cheesy. I like that type of music, but it's sort of like early Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That's, that's, that's a Zack Snyder move right there, though, isn't it? Like, that's, that's yeah. like. And I, it actually really kind of works in the film, obviously. Like, historically, where I don't think there was rock and roll back then. Uh, well, <laughs> they had well, rocks look, and they rolled, but. It's not, it. well, well, I'd say it's not in the sources anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but these immortals anyway so they're the elite troops they're kind of like I suppose the Praetorian Guard yeah so there's mm. so there's, there's about 10,000 of these immortals mm. and the reason they're called the immortals is because every time one dies there's somebody waiting to take his place Straight so, away. so their numbers never dwindle because mm, yeah. to get into the immortals you've got to be a good fighter I think even if you did not even if you died if you just got injured or you got hurt yeah, yeah, you, yeah. And like you're you, just pulled out even right? if you like you know you sprained <laughs> your ankle like you're yeah. just pulled out of the immortals someone else goes in and takes your place where's your armour but um, so ba- uh, but basically these immortals they come up against the Spartans but they just they can't act the Spartans at all. This is the person's going. These are our best troops. They'll take out the Spartans and they come near the, the even weakest Spartan just kicks the living shit out of them. They just can't get near them at all. These are the Spartans are just beyond anything that the Persians have got. And not just in training and, and prowess, um, weaponry. They're mm. they're heavy heavy infantry. If you send light infantry against heavy infantry, there's only going to be one winner. Mm. Especially if the numbers are in any way comparable. If you think about uh, historically, we'll put it in Irish context for, for a second, like the Norman invasion, very small numbers. Irish armies at the time, also reasonably small, but still way bigger than Norman numbers. Why can't they take them? Disperse. Armour. Oh. They can't beat them. Because the Irish, the Gaelic soldiers are light infantry who throw sticks at each other. Yep. The Norman guys are wearing armour, chainmail, they've got broadswords. Mm. If there's ten times, you have ten times their number, they're going to mow you down. That's what's happening here. So, we've got to the second day, he's thrown the immortals at the Spartans, Circe or Xerxes, excuse me, not Circe, uh, must have been getting pissed off. So, yeah. so is this when he offers the kind of peace deal to Leon- Leonidas, where he says you can have, you know, so this dominion the, over Greece? This is how the Persians do things. Mm. So they arrive up with their army, and if it doesn't immediately go their way, it's the divide and conquer thing. So mm. basically what he says to Leonidas is, um, uh, surrender, and I'll make you, you can, you can be king of all Greece. As long as you recognise me as King of Kings. And this is reported in the sources. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. I thought this, this was do. fake when yeah. I watched the movie, but it isn't. Well, was no. he carried on a big staircase and did he wear all those chains, though, Absolutely Michael? not. Like, <laughs> but what I would not. say is no. that a lot of the time the this truth is, is stranger than like. fiction. And yeah. Not in this case. Not, mm. not the way he looks, but the level of luxury, you couldn't exaggerate it. You know, the way the, the level Oh, they were outrageously luxury. wealthy. Yeah, no, so the same with Roman emperors yeah. or Anton. Like, anything we imagine as luxurious, that, sorry, no, a few grapes and a nice bat, that's not luxury to these lads. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. they are just on a different oh, you, level. You get to a level where you just start needing uh, <laughs> your harem to have no arms. Like, because yeah. regular, you know, regular... Because, uh, because yours has to be the most exotic. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing, right? so This is probably a good moment to speak of the great traitor... Um, Ephialtes. So, um, what do we think of him? Well, so this is like where the film loses me a bit because it's like, I mean, it's like you said, Mark, everything is very much exaggerated, but just the fact that they have this society that, you know, you euthanize your children if they're not perfect, and that's all well and good, but the film forms an argument of 
that's the right thing to do through this character of Alfie Altis, yeah. who, as far as what I've read, which again, very limited uh, in comparison to you, you guys' sources. Um, but yeah, he was a traitor. He, he did exist. He did lead the people through this path and kind of fuck things up. He did. But he was not a hideous monster person. No, he was not. Um, no. And just doing that is and I, I think that's a very fair criticism of the of the film and I mean the graphic novel as well if you want to go there. Um because it really as I think uh Frank Miller even said himself, like he's he's knowingly doing this just to make Leonidas a good guy where it because he has this scene where he's like oh, raise your arm, and he can't raise his arm, and so he can't defend the man next to him, and that's a great way of letting the audience know that that's how uh, it works with the uh, with the Spartan army and that, but it is a problem in that it means, like, we're right for killing babies, and I'm also such a good guy that I'm acting like I would have let you in otherwise. So you're, what you're saying is that it gives kind of credence to the kind of eugenics yeah it's it's ex- the, it's excuse it's excusing spartan brutality and eugenics is the word yeah that, that they are they, they and are this is why they were put on a pedestal by fascist regime regimes oh the not, not the century, nazis yeah. the the yeah. italian fascists the, yeah. like greek extreme right-wingers mm. and they love so, Spartans. so in their in criticism of 300 it has been called fascist art as well which is not necessarily inaccurate. Um, I think it obviously, as a lot of art, depends how you view it and what you do with it. I think it has lots of great qualities. Um, and I think it's honestly done a lot for uh, film in general. Even if you don't love this film, it's like this is kind of weirdly a touchstone it, like in, as far as how you make a film more than Gladiator because Gladiator was an amazing film in that, wow, what a fucking budget they had and yeah. it's a great film. Uh, and then you look at this, and it's obviously big budget and everything, and but it's like such a, a shift in it's filmmaking kind of, style. It kind, of, it kind of broke new ground or created a style or uh, enhanced all, the style. Because like we had green screens before then, obviously for forever. Uh, but here it's used to enhance the art rather than yeah. to sort of try to stand in for something else. It's not ashamed over the fact that it's green screening things. It's embracing that. And that, that that's a big criticism of Zach. Snyder um, as a director I think it, like narrative is not really his thing yeah like it's like story is not really his thing but if you want an action set piece he's your guy and that's yeah. the thing as well with FELTs I have those criticisms at the same time I totally get why you do that to make the story even simpler and even clearer because I think that's the problem in other Zack Snyder films where the story isn't clear at all yeah, makes no you sense. have no idea what's yeah. going on yeah. or you don't care about it and here it's like I'm criticizing it for the way in way in, in in which the film makes you care about the main characters and like them, but that's something that he's failed to do in other films. Absolutely. So it's kind of essential to the film working too. Uh, so it's a I don't know. I, I think it's just it is a I I found it a bit of a disturbing message. Yeah, life, you know that particular thing, and um, I also thought it ties in a lot to the same narrative that we were talking about at a film about the film Kingdom of Heaven, which came out within two or three years of yeah. that. And you were it was the same kind of thing. And it was criticized at the time, to be fair. You know, East, uh, West good, East bad. Oh, very much. Yeah. That's, that's what this is, yeah. Um, look, all the monsters and the ghouls out But, but I, I, I would just, I would just say this, though. I, w- strong, I, w- I would just yeah. say this, not, not in necessarily in defense, but I'm talking about, I mentioned earlier about how this is an exaggeration. The concept of East versus West, that exists... And one of the one of like that exists 
before this. This is a, this is a, a a symptom of that rather than rather than a causal thing. A lot of the criticism ignored that fact. Thermopylae is listed as one of the ten most pivotal Turning battles in the history of yeah. the world, which is nonsense. But it is listed as that, and it has been used by politicians and by educated people for 300 or 400, 500 years in the past as one of the cornerstones. This is the battle that defended democracy. This yeah. and the Battle of Marathon. Rubbish. Democracy. Yeah. These these people are fascists. They're not Democrats. Even Greek city-states that are democratic. Like, I mean... They're democrats for the, the elites. Yeah, more for the elites. But the Spartans yeah. couldn't be further from democracy. No. Yeah, I think uh, the the whole deal with FELDs and combining that with what I mentioned before about how the democratic part of Sparta is depicted as gross and corrupt. Yeah, yeah. You take those two factors and it... Even though they are moves made to make the film more engaging, for me personally, it makes the victory hollow uh, mm. that we do get. And so if you combine it with like the ultraviolence, if you will, like it just sort of takes the air out of the win where I'd you know, I'd be a bit probably a bit more excited about uh, or interested in in the outcome if there was more uh, and, ambiguity in the motivations. And speaking of the outcome in in reality, so, there is this great betrayal. Um, the Spartans are eventually wiped out. The, the as, 300, as, as, is, we ine- as say. is inevitable. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there were 700 te- uh, thespians with them as well, and yep. we don't really know what happened to them. So, so, uh, so actors can't really yeah, fight so, anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, man, can they act like they're And it's funny, it's the exact same word for the two. Yeah. Uh, the, speaking of words, the, the name of the traitor. You were F-E-L-T's. saying earlier, it, it, it means nightmare or traitor. Traitor, yeah. It's, in, it's, it's used, um, I, you'll see it like in, in, in literature, like it's used as a poetic term for yeah, a traitor. A traitor. Just a concept yeah. of treachery even, yeah. Yeah. Like what's that guy they use in the States, they always say? Benedict Arnold. This is yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He'd be considered the Benedict Arnold. Of oh, Greece. very much of the Greek world, even yeah. now of the Greek world, yeah, for sure. So what happens afterwards then? Because... It's left at the end of the film. Now, we know there's a sequel to 300 that we're not sure. Nobody watched it. Let's not talk about it. Nobody watched it, though. But in reality, so what happened? Unfortunately, yes. So in reality, the 300 are destroyed. What happens to Xerxes' army? Where does he go now? So this is kind of open a little bit to interpretation because the way it's often presented in history is that Thermopylae was the loss that allowed the victory. Mm. Um, Because they say, look, it's a delaying action and allows the Greek allies to to muster their forces. What happens after this is um, pretty grim, actually. So the army there is wiped out. Um, the three hundred and and some of the some other, some allies like the Thespians, as mentioned. A lot of the rest of the Greek army that's there retreats. Um, some people think that the Spartans told them to go so that they could defend the passes afterwards. De- debatable. Um, yeah. The thing is, do they know the the size of the Persian army? Probably not. No. When it became evident the size of the Persian army. Would a good general tell the bulk of his forces to retreat? Yeah, he would. So maybe that is what happened, but it's it's difficult to say yes or no there. And in the immediate aftermath, am I right in thinking that Xerxes makes great progress, like he even burns Athens? Yeah, so yeah. Athens is actually evacuated yeah. because the army, there is basically nothing stopping them coming. Mm. The Artemisium battle doesn't go the way they wanted to go. It's, as you say, it's a stalemate, it's a draw. The Greek army is mustering not beside Athens or not in Athens mm. because that's not strategically geographically that's not where you would do it you would do it where more the city states are closer to each other so they're mustering a large uh, a larger greek army so athens evacuates i mean the civilians evacuate they get on their ships to get get the fuck out of dodge 
uh, Xerxes' forces arrive into Athens and they destroy Athens. They burn it to the ground. Like it, it's like really badly destroyed. Uh, just a small note um, in relation to because he is kind of the hero of the film is King Leonidas. Uh, in reality, Xerxes decapitated him. He did, oh, and he yeah. crucified. Crucified and decapitated. Um, and eventually, he was repatriated about forty years later back what? to Sparta. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but so he must have held on to him then. They yeah. held on to him. He was, uh, yeah, he was a it's valuable. Like this commodity. is what you do. This is what happens to a man who defies Persia. That's but this was very unusual because the Persians were known. Um, because this shows that Xerxes really did hate him because the Persians were known for uh, their admiration of great Clemency. warriors. Yeah. And yeah. they would always sort of offer clemency as long as the person would submit. Uh, so the fact that he did this to Leonidas's dead body shows a real profound uh, vitriol anger. hatred yeah, yeah, profound yeah, anger, for yeah. him, you know. So we have a naval battle. Is that we have what a, we, have, we have a naval battle, which again is one of these battles that's regarded as the turning point in, in history. Mm. So we have a battle. Um, we've actually got two battles, one, one naval battle, one land battle. Um, so the, the how, how, how long afterwards would this be? The next year, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So the following year, the Greek allied forces decide, okay, we we we've, we've got to do something here. We've got to take, we've got to make a move. So they they go on the offensive. Um, the Greek allied navy attacks the Persian navy again. This time at the island of Salamis, and they win. And they win a fairly spectacular victory. It's a big big win. Now, why is that important? The Persian navy is wiped out. That means your supply lines are fucked. You can't get supplies to your army. Now, I'm not saying the army is what Herodotus says it is, two and a half million men, mm. but logistics is often what loses battles. Food. Food. Access Disease. to water. Yeah. Uh, the Persian navy typically is what is arriving in to, to, to bring supplies to the expedition, to the army on the move. The Greeks have just wiped out the Persian navy. That means they can't project force anymore. So the army that they've got in Greece is the army they've got in Greece. Now, they could march another army, but it took years for him to mobilize this army. And then you've got to march it all the way across Asia Minor. So that means the forces that are in Greece, that's it. That's all well, I've got. Orlando Bloom could tell you a thing or two about supply lines. Uh, he knows you need water. <laughs> Don't warfare. Yeah, you need, yeah. <laughs> need water when you march. Just as well, he's called the king of fucking Jerusalem. Otherwise, how would you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and Mark, this decisive battle, which kind of pushes the Persians back. Uh, so that's the Battle of Plataea. Yeah. Is so, so just, which is the battle at the end of the film? Yes, right? it is. Yeah. yeah. So there is a little bit of debate about mm. like, is this the thing that beat them, or is it the fact that the navy got crushed? Is that the thing that beat them? To be honest, like the, the reality of the situation is there's a little from both, really. You can't supply the army. That means you've got to win, and you've got to win now. Um, but they don't. So now they're going up against an allied Greek army, which includes the entire Spartan army. Mm. So now they, they, they've arrived. This is going to be Sparta's marathon moment. Like, we're going to win this. But you've gonna, also got Athens, Corinth. Athens' army has turned up. Corinth's yeah. army has turned up. Team, they're they're all there. Yeah, yeah the Argives from... from uh, uh, from the Papanese, all like a lot of the Greek city states have turned up for this battle. They just think, okay, this is this is the moment. We've wiped out their fleet. This is the moment, mm. um, and they win. The Greeks win against the odds. They're still massively, massively outnumbered. Now, to what extent they're outnumbered, debatable, but it's at least three to one, and absolute minimum three to one. So this is it. Another great battle, and is this what many people think ushers in kind of the golden age? Yeah, what so, we know is the golden yeah. age of Greek culture. So one of, one of the reasons for the romanticization of these events is the golden age of Greek society, 5th century Athens for, and 4th century and so on, that is allowed to happen because of this. Greek isn't, Greece is not conquered by Persia. Now, whether or not the Persians being in control of Greece would actually have prevented 
the rise of, of, of the arts and democracy and, and philosophy and drama. Yeah. Like, it's very difficult to say. I would be inclined to think that maybe it wouldn't, to be perfectly honest, because the way that the Persian Empire runs. But it would, according to this film, be full of uh, scorpion people and goat yeah. flutists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people, with, people with weird alien heads and stuff. Yeah, like according Paraplegic to prostitutes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was very weird. It was very strange. Very yeah. weird and, and the weird piercings. I, I actually am still thinking like. of that now, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's ever going to, like remove itself from my brain yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it does it, there, there are moments that really from this movie that really stay with you I think so Xerxes, he's gone back to Persia yeah. then the Greeks continue on their merry way I presume they go to war against each other again fairly shortly uh, after I mean as, 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 is the, <laughs> as is the Greek way yeah um, what, is, what essentially happens after this um, Athens and Sparta are regarded by the Greek world as the saviours of Greece because they're like they're they're the one like the bulk of the navy is the Athenian navy, the bulk of the army or the leader of the army is the Spartan army. It's a Spartan general who, who runs the show, um, and then inevitably what they decide is the Persian threat is not gone because the empire is still there. So they form this Pan Hellenic League to, to fight the Spartans, but they keep it in place. Um, what ends up happening is over time through manipulation and politics and, and just being a bigger dog than the other dogs, the Athenians essentially turn this league into an Athenian empire. So mm. all of the islands, all those lovely islands you go to on your holidays, they are all paying tax to Athens and Athens starts to get real powerful mm. and they rebuild Athens. More colonies. More colonies, yeah. more money. They rebuild the city to make it even better than it was before. They Is this when the navy. colonies in Italy are founded? Yeah, so, so, so yeah, the, the, the cities of Italy and, and southern Italy and, and Syracuse, Sicily, Syracuse, yeah. yeah. Um, those um, uh, those cities start springing up around this time as well. Mm. What what actually ends up happening is there is kind of an argument brewing. Which side of the Greek world are you with? Mm. Are you with the Spartans or the Athenians? Mm. And picking the wrong one at the wrong time, you can die. Yeah. So what ends up happening is this massive political feud turns into a huge, huge internal Greek war, which is referred to as the Peloponnesian War. Yeah. The Peloponnese is the area of Greece that uh, the Spartans... Um, that Laconia is in, it's the large portion in the south. But this is really devastating. It goes on for literally decades. It's very difficult to fight because the bulk of the, the, the Athenian power is in the navy and the bulk of the Spartan power is in the yeah, army. So right. they can't really directly face each other to any great extent. So what ends up happening is in the traditional sense, the summer summertime comes, that's the campaigning time. The Spartan army marches out of the Peloponnese. It surrounds Athens. Well, Athens is just supplied by the sea. Yeah. So... The Athenian navy arrives down to Sparta, <laughs> it marches some troops in, and then it sees the Spartan army and goes, oh no, fuck this, and they leave. <laughs> so how are they fighting each other? So they're basically pushing and pressing the other city-states mm. into their side, one side or the other. Over time... So this went on for like 20 years or... 30 more, years. 30 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this, And at the whole time, the Persians are still involved, mm. trying to fund one side or the other. <laughs> and is somebody else <laughs> quietly <laughs> working on their power base in the background while all this is happening? Of, yeah, well, the, the probably... Um, I know you, you're, you're probably referring to Macedon here, but, mm. but really what's happening is... Um, uh, this is absolutely devastating to the Greek world. Like, I mean, they, they just, they're kicking the living shit out of each other. If you've played that game you mentioned earlier, Assassin's yeah. Creed Odyssey, yeah. that's the setting for this game. It's during the Peloponnesian War. Um, there's, they're basically, Greece having an awful time. What eventually happens is, um, yeah, about 30 years or 25 years, 26 years, something like that, after the war kicks off, the Athenians eventually are exhausted. And they're exhausted because the members of their, the Delian League, as they call it, the Athenian Empire, they start getting a bit fed up. Uh, the war costs and paying all these taxes to the navy yeah. and all this kind of stuff so they start rebelling and the Spartans are trying to help them the Spartans later on actually invade Persia for the laugh like they invade 
turkey just for the crack like mm. and um doesn't go very well but they 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 start rebelling all these little islands and athens is slowly whittled down it's worn down the athenians actually surrender in the end to the, mm. to, the, to, the to the spartans they, they just can't they just can't hack it anymore like they're just it's too much um but sparta is weakened dramatically but it's worth 30 years of constant warfare there are battles they're smaller scale than term than than like the Battle of Plataea, they're smaller scale than Marathon. But there are lots of battles between the two sides. Spartans are dying, they're not being replaced. Their eugenics starts to work against them. Probably running out with slaves as they're well if they're not slaves. conquering new land. They're not conquering new land because yeah. they're so focused on what are the Athenians doing. Everything's do. getting stagnant. Yeah. yeah. So they start to come to the end of their resources while at the same time exhausting Athens. It's kind of like if you think of World War One, Germany and, and versus France slash Britain, they're trying to out industrialize each other. Yeah. And at the end, they're, they're all ruined. Yeah. Really, you know, that's what's kind of happening here. Pyr- Pyrrhic victory. Pyrrhic victory, yeah. So the Spartans nominally win this war, but they're so damaged by it that they basically never recover. What this ends up happening... Towards the year 400, closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, around, yeah, around 400. And what ends up happening is another city-state at this time, Thebes, in the, which is further north, they're kind of playing a good political game here. Like, So they think, okay, we're actually going to rebel against the Spartan alliance here. And we're going to see what happens. They probably won't send our army against us. Mm. Wrong. The Spartans send the army. But they lose. The Spartan army loses a battle. And then mm. Spartan armies do not lose battles. That's not what happens. But they lose here. That's not in the Philometer. No, it's well, it's, stuff that's yeah, not it's, a, it's a number of years yeah. later. Yeah, to be fair. But I think we do have to wrap it up. It is. Yeah. It, you get into it, though, especially when it's like the film is such a clear story like we were saying portrays something and then you get into this aftermath and it's like yeah. ooh this is quite an it's exciting more time period yeah. well if we yeah. don't stop now we're gonna run into we're gonna have to start talking about Alexander the Great oh yeah let's and, leave that you know <laughs> but that hairstyle in the movie so, and yeah I so, was gonna say um, what was I gonna say so, yo uh, y- you think like if they'd only pool their resources, you can see what's happening when, you know, a big threat comes from the outside. Yeah. It's like you pool your resources, you pull together, and you just think, ah, oh, you could have done something great, the Athenians and the Spartans. And then you think of modern times, and you're like, oh, we can't even figure that out now when we're not killing each other. You yeah. st- we still can't get along. we got to leave various unions, uh, break various alliances, cause conflicts, etc. Well, there's not a new under the sun, you know. There is. It's just one cycle. It's just different, uh, different characters you know in the same play very true and just before we wrap up do we have any sources to point people towards if they're interested in this time period yeah mark has one i think he's in he wants to um i would say probably i have a couple of primary sources and then a secondary source so the primary sources i would say uh if you want to know about the spartans uh the historian thucydides wrote the history of the peloponnesian war mm-hmm. i'm just going to preface this with a little warning Thucydides is, is a fantastically boring writer, uh, <laughs> which is really upsetting because it's such an interesting period well, of history. That's why I have dull. that book on my bookshelf and I've never gone near it. He, he, is, <laughs> he is dull. There is, there is another Greek writer at the time who's also a contemporary called Xenophon. Xenophon's pretty interesting, so I, I, I would read his stuff. Uh, the Plutarch does some work on him too, but the main source is Herodotus's uh, histories or inquiries. Yeah, so again, Herodotus is a contemporary historian. He's known as the father of history or the father of lies. Yeah. Um, and he likes it. He likes an, an exaggeration. He likes a story, you know, but he's the, he's the primary source. Um, an old school Zack Snyder, if you will. Yeah, kind of. Plutarch, you'd forgive a little more. He's much, much later. He's, he's centuries, much later. centuries later. But yeah. also Plutarch, it should be pointed out, is not a historian. He's a biographer. Yeah. So he'll change the facts to suit his story. 
What I love about Herodotus is it is that our, it's our old friend Cicero uh, who named him the father of history. Yes, indeed. And yeah. Cicero was imperfect. He was known to tell a lie or two as well. So <laughs> um, if you're interested in just getting a book that you can pick up anywhere, uh, there's Persian Fire by Tom Holland. Uh, it's very accessible. And the great thing about it is it discusses Persia, which is very unusual if you go into a bookshop you'll see hundreds of books on greek the greek wars uh the greek persian wars all that type of thing but there's very little that actually spends the half first half of this book is just about uh the persian empire and the rise of Xerxes and uh the, the various dariuses and all of the gang uh and you only actually hear the greeks mentioned about halfway through the book so it's excellent it's called persian fire and uh it's by tom holland very good and i will admit i messed something up very badly not as badly as xerxes but i didn't hit you with that one sentence summary at the start no. oh do it jacob i will do just it. wrap up with that instead so here's you can just ignore everything we just said because the only thing you need to know is that in 300 a warrior king leads a smaller force against an enormous army making a heroic last stand for his people but more importantly for glory that's it from Real History. We'll see you next time.